It is not necessarily a new technology, but it is still in its infancy. Yet it does offer the potential solution to the world's food insecurity crisis that is going to get worse as we approach 10 billion. This technology in cooperation with other technologies such as aeroponics, hydroponics, and lab-grown meat will potentially offer us a solution and a remedy for a forever-growing food crisis. It's a technology that I've talked about many times and it's called MTA, or Multitropic Aquaculture. But what is the science behind MTA? What is it? What problems are it solving? Why is it better than everything else? And what are the future directions? Well, let's talk about the science behind that. Welcome to the science behind that with Atticus Hamilton. Hello, all you scientists, and welcome on back to the science behind that podcast. I'm your host, Atticus Hamilton, and uh, I hope you guys are having a great Monday. Um, Before we get started today, uh, I'd like to give a special thank you to our new sponsor. Um, As you guys know very well, I I do not like advertisements. Um, Every episode that I post, there shouldn't be any ads on it. If there are, that's a big issue. Uh, Shoot me an email if there are ads on it, but there shouldn't be any ads um, that are in this podcast and the reason for that is I just simply don't like ads. I think that there should be a place on the internet where you can go to hear information without having to pay for it, without having ads, um, without content being restricted. Um, And so because of that I've looked to uh, podcast sponsors. Um, Now this isn't an advertisement, it's just a special thank you to Denver family lawyers, advocates, and advocacy since 1997 for being a sponsor of this podcast. Special thanks to them. They make sure that ads, advertisements never touch this podcast, and they make sure that I can um, keep bringing to you guys the content that you all seem to enjoy. Um, And one more quick thing, if any of you um, are feeling like you really like what I do and you really want to support uh, my show here, there is a support the show link down in the description. Um, It's not obligatory, obviously. It's um, completely up to you guys if if you want to show your support and everything is appreciated. Um, So that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to invite you all to go grab yourselves a nice steaming hot cup of coffee add a little bit of maple syrup to it, and uh, we're going to jump right into today's episode. So I've been alluding to multi-tropic aquaculture uh, for the past week or so, um, and that is what we're going to be talking about today, as you heard in the intro. Uh, and multi-tropic aquaculture, I guess now called integrated multi-tropic aquaculture, is a very, very fascinating technology that is, in my opinion, it it offers one of the parts of a solution to a food insecurity crisis that, again, we will definitely be experiencing um, 
really severely in 2100 if we continue uh, business as usual, everything as normal uh, from where we are now. Um, and today we are going to be talking about what is integrated multitropic aquaculture or IMTA, um, what problems uh, are being solved by it, uh, why is it better than uh, current aquaculture methods, and what are the future directions. Um, and spoiler alert, that last part, it really has a lot to do with you guys, but we're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, so first off, what is IMTA? Well, before we can understand what IMTA is, we need to first understand what a tropic level is. So tropic levels, for those of you who have not, you know, taken environmental biology or um, evolutionary biology or, or something like that, Tropic levels, it's just a way of organizing organisms based on predation. So the first tropic level are the producers, right? They're like algae and seaweeds and grasses on land. They're plants or algaes. They are organisms that, you know, photosynthesize or, they radio, or they're radiotropic, which means they use radiation to produce sugars and, and proteins and whatnot. Um... So they, these are the organisms that pretty much everything else feeds off of. Then the second tropic level are what are called primary uh, consumers. So in the ocean, those are like sardines. So sardines are the second level on this pyramid, if you can imagine a pyramid, with one being the bottom and four being the top. Um, so the primary consumers are like sardines um, or, you know, little salmon before they're adults, um, filter feeding organisms basically, or crabs um, that uh, are strictly herbivorous. Those are your primary consumers. On land, that'd be like a mouse. It'd be like um, a little bird, like maybe a chestnut-sided warbler. Those are examples of primary consumers. Third level, these are called secondary consumers. So these are organisms that um, eat the primary consumers. So in the ocean, those are going to be like adult salmon. Um, it's going to be like uh, marlin. It's going to be like tuna. Those organisms are, well, tuna could be a level four depending on the area of the world that it's in, but those those are your secondary consumers. Secondary consumers eat primary consumers. And then level four are the tertiary consumers. Um, sharks, orcas, um, humans, those are tertiary, tertiary level consumers, which basically means that they eat secondary level consumers, but they could also eat anywhere down the pyramid um, for the most part, except humans are pretty unique in that we eat um, the secondary consumers all the way down to the producers. Not a lot of tertiary consumers do that. Um, we're kind of unique as humans. But anyway, that is a tropic level uh, or a tropic pyramid overall. So then, now that we know that, what what do you guys think integrated multi-tropic aquaculture is? I'm going to wait here a minute. Well, I take a sip of coffee and I'll let you guys think about that. So, integrated multi-tropic aquaculture is 
basically it's where you're growing organisms from each one of the tropic levels. Now, now, what does this look like? Well, um, if you go to uh, the government of Canada's website or just look up integrated multi-tropic aquaculture, government of Canada, they have a really nice graphic here, which I will set as the cover of this episode. But basically what this looks like is you culture fish like salmon and then you culture um, mussels and sea cucumbers and sea urchins um, to help remove, i.e. filter feeders, to help remove the waste of the fish. And then you uh, culture kelp to help take up excess inorganic nutrients. Um, this way you're culturing primary producers, primary consumers, secondary consumers, and tertiary consumers, right? Uh, well, maybe not tertiary consumers, but definitely um, levels one through three. Uh, and so what problems are this solving or is this solving? Well, the big one is disease. Um, unfortunately, there are ma major issues that we have currently with the, the most common methods of aquaculture. Now, what do these look like? Well, you have pond systems, open net pens, uh, submersible net pens, and recirculating systems. Now, recirculating systems tend to be the best, um, but we're going to get into each of these. So what is a pond system? Well, it's just as the name implies. Basically, um, you dig a hole in the ground and you fill it with water and you grow a fit or and you stock it with fish or an organism of your choice um, and you feed it, right? And so the organisms live in that pond and they grow to high density. Now, what are the po uh, ponds? What are the problems with this? Well, the biggest problem is there's a lot of nutrients there, A, right? So what happens to that nutrient? So this is a dry land-based system, generally. Um, so because of that, you have you have to 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 do something with that excess runoff, right? That water in that pond has to be recirculated somehow, especially if you're growing high densities of fish. Um, so what what do you do with that well you can either process that wastewater inside pools um for, for those of you who live in landlocked states or countries i'm sure you've seen like um sewage uh ponds basically where they just put the sewage in a pond on land and microorganisms grow and they take care of that you can do the same thing with pond systems for aquaculture um However, a lot of times when it's done improperly, they just send that wastewater into rivers, which contributes to eutrophication of um, the rivers and the, the oceans where those rivers end up, right? The other type, open net pens. So basically, that is where you have a big circular net pen, either in a lake or in the ocean, that are filled with fish. Now, with this system, you don't really have to worry about wastewater because the ocean or lake currents take away that wastewater. But what does that mean? Well, what that means is that because you're growing fish in such high densities in these net pens, 
you have the issues of diseases. And there are a lot of diseases that affect aquaculture and fish species. You have bacterial kidney, kidney disease, cremixitosis, channel catfish virus disease, L. rhabdovirus disease, enteric red mouth, epizoonotic hematopoietic necrosis. And I could go on and on and on. There's a lot of different diseases that affect fish. And when you're growing them in, um, particularly in open water pen systems um, or open net pens, those diseases reach extremely high levels and the currents just take away those diseases and spread them out into the ocean or the lake and that can cause issues for um, for uh, for organisms down the line. The other type of a net pen is instead of one floating on the water surface, it's anchored underneath uh, on the seafloor or the lake bed and it's a big net pen. But again, you have the same issue, right? Then the final type that we see are recirculating systems. Now, recirculating systems can be done very well, and they can be done in a very good uh, good way that ensures minimal environmental impact. And these are basically land-based systems in like a factory or a massive warehouse with very large tanks of fish that you can grow up and feed, and the wastewater should be recycled using uh, microbial methods to remove uh, waste. And all these tanks are interconnected, um, and these fish species in here will not have contact with wild fish like you would have with the submersible net pens or the open net pens. But what's the problem with this? Well, the problem with this is that, A, it's very expensive to start up initially, and B, because of that, people like to cut corners. Um, that being said, when it's done correctly, it is as good, um, it's almost as good as multitropic aquaculture. And we're seeing a shift of the aquaculture industry to these land-based recirculating systems. So those are the current issues with um, aquaculture, right? And so then why is it better? Why is IMTA better? Well, first off, IMTA, generally you have a pen of floating at the surface and that's where your fish are. Underneath that pen, you'll have a bed of like um, sea cucumbers and um, uh, other detritivores that will feed on the waste produced by those fish. And then, as I mentioned previously, you'll have kelp and mussels to recycle nutrients. Now, what is this doing? What this is doing is that it ensures that there's no point here at which A you have nutrient runoff that would cause issues in the environment, right? Because all the the excess nutrients being produced by the fish, it's all recycled, A. B, it minimizes the effect of disease because the fish aren't constantly swimming around in polluted waters. That's And, and frankly, in the ocean or the lake or lakes, diseases are spread through water. And so if you have filter feeding stocks of mussels and oysters you're removing those pathogens that affect fish from the environment. And then C, you are producing a vastly higher amount of food than you would just using a recirculating system, right? Because you're producing fish, you're producing kelp, and 
I think seaweed is really tasty. My family doesn't, but I do. You're producing mussels. You're producing sea urchins. You're producing um, sea cucumbers. All of these things can be eaten. And when I say this offers a potential to solve world food insecurity, it really does. Because you can grow up a huge amount of organisms in a relatively small area with all, virtually zero environmental impact because you're removing all this waste. It's a win-win-win. It's, it's pretty much as good as lab-grown meat. It's even better because some people have issues with lab-grown meat and obviously these fish and kelp and seaweed, they're not, and uh, sea urchins, it's not lab grown. It's just there's an intricate um, framework of growth here that allows uh, them to be sustainably grown and in a way that doesn't affect wild stocks and doesn't um, doesn't uh, obviously negatively affect the environment either. So how does this compare then? Well, unfortunately, as I said originally, it's not a new technology, but it's in its infancy. Um, back in 2010, there was a U.S.-based workshop uh, through NOAA on um, IMTA that was in Port Angeles, Washington. And basically what they determined was that, A, it is possible, and B, it is as good as everybody thinks it is. China, um, I, I was surprised to read this, um, but China actually is using IMTA as an emerging technology for aquaculture to feed their population. There's 1.4 billion plus people in China, and they're using IMTA to feed their population because, frankly, they've depleted wild fish stocks so much in the Yellow Sea, in the South China Sea, and in um, the regions of the Southeast Pacific that I'm not surprised. But they are switching towards this method, and it is possible. So this leads us then into our future directions. What are the future directions for I IMTA? Well, this is where you guys come in, right? IMTA is still emerging, and it pains me to say this because this workshop was in 2010, and, you know, it is 13 years, almost 14 years later uh, since this wor workshop took place. And what has really happened? Well, China's still leading the world on IMTA. And even then, it's in its infancy. And why is this? Well, I think that there's a couple factors here. Number one is it's just not really talked about. I mean, I would love it if you guys could shoot me an email at thescienceBT at gmail.com to tell me if you've ever heard of IMTA before I mentioned it last week. Um, because I would guarantee that a vast majority of people out there haven't. So, now what does that mean? Well, if not a lot of people are hearing about it, there's not really a demand um, to push governments and agencies and um uh, corporate entities into developing it, right? Um, so that's the big thing. That's the big thing. And the other thing is that, frankly, it is a, a relatively complicated system because you need to make sure that you do it right. Um, 
you need to make sure that the area of coastline that you're developing this in is able to support all of these organisms. You don't want to introduce invasive species anywhere, right? So, for example, you wouldn't want to do an IMTA system in the Great Lakes and use zebra mussels, right? Zebra mussels are invading the Great Lakes, so that wouldn't be smart. So, I mean, it takes a bit of time and investment to develop these systems, but I think the big thing is at the end of the day, what are the future directions? Nothing if people don't learn about it, right? If people don't learn about it and they don't push for it, unfortunately, it looks like it would stagnate. So that's why I said at the beginning of this episode that you guys um, are important here, that the future directions of IMTA is dependent on you guys. The more people that know about integrated multi-tropic aquaculture, the more likelihood and the, the higher demand there is to force governments and corporate agencies to develop these technologies as a substitute to our current aquaculture methods. Because, ladies and gentlemen, frankly, let's think about it, right? Currently, our aquaculture involves focusing on one organism and calling it good, right? Putting all of our eggs in one basket when instead we could focus on growing an entire tropic pyramid and put all of our eggs in multiple baskets and get a massive amount of products as a result. It, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. Um, therefore, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that uh, by the end of, or I hope that you guys feel like we have covered what it is, what problems it's solving, um, why it's better, and the future directions. Um, again, as with most things, it is very heavily developed or heavily dependent on you guys, right? The consumers. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's epi episode. Um, again, special thanks to our podcast sponsor. Um, I will see you guys on Friday. Uh, I have a good episode for you guys on Friday. And until then, remember, ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic week and stand up and question everything.